You're listening to the Classic Gamers Guild Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Classic Gamers Guild Podcast. This week we're at full force again as I'm joined with Anna and Paul. How are you guys doing this week? Lovely, mate. I'm doing really well today. Good, good. Uh, what's new with you guys? Well, you know just what? kidding. I don't care. Oh. Um, so <laughs> today we're joined. Sorry, you're just too late. I, I'm not going to wait for you guys because today we're joined by Mark Fillion of uh, General Interactive, developer of Terroir and the upcoming Chinatown Detective Agency, which has just been fully funded on Kickstarter along with most of its stretch goals. Uh, Mark, welcome to the show and thanks for joining us. Rick, Anna, Paul, thank you so much for having me. Um, I was looking forward to this uh, for a while now, so it's great to be here. It's great to have you on, finally. Uh, I played your demo for Chinatown Detective Agency a little while back, and uh, I was immediately hooked by it. So it was, uh, I'm really anxiously waiting for it to be done. Yes, I also played the other demo. I just got through it uh, actually today. I wanted it to be quite fresh in my mind for, for speaking with you, so I, p- I put it off till, till the day of the interview, much like, you know, how I was in high school with homework, but I'm enamored by it, mate. It's it's absolutely the gorgeous. The art direction is gorgeous, and you know we'll we'll get well into it. But I'll, I'll say I, I found it relaxing but engaging at the same time. You know, not like relaxing in a sleepy way. It was just very just put me in this like really nice kind of stoic mood, and I was really excited to to kind of just get tucked into it and play it. So really well done, mate. I love it. Wow, thank you. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, beautiful colors. Absolutely, and uh, and reminiscent of a, a certain game I think many of us have played in the past, which I'm sure we'll also talk more about. Awesome. Wow. Thanks, guys. It was a really good find, because I actually can't remember if I heard it first on Facebook or on Twitter, but uh, it had all the ingredients to uh, catch my attention from a uh, kind of a point-and-click adventure inspired by uh, Carmen Sandiego, really cool pixel art, sci-fi, uh, you know, cyberpunkish art style, and uh, just... All of these things are just like this whole man that that I can't possibly ignore this. So I uh, I looked into it. I saw you guys were starting up on Kickstarter, tried it, passed it on to all the admins over at the Classic Gamers Guild on Facebook, and uh, yeah, everyone's everyone's pretty well hooked. So for several of us admins have uh, backed your Kickstarter. Actually, uh, tell you about tell us about the Kickstarter. How uh, how far did you get on the stretch goals? I know you got most of them. Um. Well, well, guys. Firstly, thank you so much for the kind words. Um, the team really appreciates that. Um, for the Kickstarter campaign, um, I think we we got pretty far. We got we got far enough that I was that I was um, worried I may not have included enough stretch goals at, <laughs> at one point. So let's start from the very basic stuff. We we managed to to cover um, all of localization, so it's going to be available to more people in more languages. But also two very cool things. We managed to get enough so that we could build um, the Hong Lim Mahjong Club. So it's this location in-game where you can gamble by playing Mahjong. The reason I put this in there is because um, some of the most memorable moments I've ever had playing video games are playing the mini-games. Yes. Um, just, you know, just a silly example. You know, when I played Red Dead, uh, Red, when I played Red Dead Redemption... Playing uh, cards at the saloon <laughs> was, was one of my favorite moments of the entire like rich world of the game. That that tiny little thing was my favorite. So, 
I thought we might, you know, yeah, you know, I thought we might um, introduce this 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 little thing, this little feature that could enrich the experience. And secondly, um, the switch port. This one, this one really um, was by popular demand. It was never in the plans. I never had any plans of making a switch game, but because enough people kind of told us about it and and suggested it. We said, you know what? If if we make enough money for the cost of porting, let's do it. So and and it was done. It was um it was one of the more popular um um uh, stretch goals. But but mm-hmm. also a third one. Sorry, and I forgot to mention this. A third one, and this one was was a surprise to me. We 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 managed to hit a stretch goal for a free DLC called the Marigold Empire, and it's a really cool DLC because the Marigold Empire is the name of a cruise ship. So it's a standalone mm. chapter in the game where you, you have to solve a mystery that takes place in a cruise ship. That's all I'll reveal, but it's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. I like that. I like the idea of a, of a standalone, isolated uh, case to cover. That's pretty cool. I was curious, I guess, before we get too, too far into to the game that you're making now, I was curious as to your background or your roots with adventure games. Um, what, what were some of the games that you grew up on? I believe, like me, from, from what I've seen, that you possibly uh, kind of grew up with, with Macintosh computers, which is cool. Um, but yeah, I was just wondering, what, what games were you into growing up that may or may not have influenced uh, Chinatown? Well, um... The thing is, I got into gaming uh, relatively um, late in my life, meaning I only really started playing games and like seriously, like really playing them to finish them when I was when I was about ten or something. You know, because I know some people will start much earlier. At around this time, mm. I got to play a lot of because I was a Super Nintendo kid, so I would play you know um, Super Mario Land and all those games. But every time I got in front of the Mac, um, it would be adventure games. It would be point and clicks. Um, it started out with uh, Where in the World is Carmen San Diego, the the original version, I believe, the uh, 1986 release. Um, graphics were horrible because this was something. This was 1995, 1996, so it was already about a decade <laughs> old. Um, it didn't mm-hmm. matter that the graphics were horrible. It such an amazing mechanic. I, I think I think what I really liked about it, and this is something that maybe we can talk about later on, um, is just it was the first game that got me thinking about the game, even you know, even when I wasn't playing it, because I was thinking about um, you know um, all these exotic places and all these exotic cultures, even after I put the game down. So it was you know it was, it was a very cool experience for me growing up. But aside from that, adventure games-wise, I was more into the late 90s era. So that was um, Grim Fandango. Please correct me if I'm wrong if that is the late 90s or early 2000s. But Grim Fandango, um, I I forget which iteration of Monkey Island, but I'm pretty sure I played a couple of Monkey Island games. Um, And (laughs) even further on, later on in the early 2000s, I played a game called Siberia and uh, Siberia 2. That's right. Um, These were the adventure games that really, that really, um, how do you say, influenced my my thinking when it came to storytelling in video games. These were really um, the games that sort of influenced me. 
That's really, those, are, those are great games to, to have an influence from. I think, I think people, you know, curious about Chinatown will, will be, uh, you know, almost have a sigh of relief knowing that, that that kind of inspiration is going into the game that you're currently making. And I'll have to ask because I, I, I just, I bloody love the art direction in your game in Chinatown. Um, I, I love, first of all, I'm a sucker for, for pixel art, but, but more specifically, I really enjoy the lighting that you've employed in this game. Um, just, you know, all, all of the, everything has a nice glow to it, uh, quite literally. Um, so that, of course, reminds me of, of probably my, my favorite film and one of my favorite games is Blade Runner. So I was curious if, if that had any inspiration, um, uh, in towards the game. Um, I'm pretty sure it has on the artist responsible for, um, um, for the visuals in the game, Ricardo. Um, and hopefully you guys maybe one day, uh, could have a sit down with Ricardo because he's, He's he's a very interesting person. Um, he's the uh, lead artist on the game, but he's also working on another game project, I believe. Also a point and click, also pixel art. Um, I believe it's called Future Flashback. Very cool game to check out. Uh, he he is a um, he's more of an old school gamer than I am, simply because of the age difference. So he was more of um, he was more into the games of the late eighties and early nineties. He's much more knowledge. Uh, he's much more knowledgeable about that, and a lot of his influences come from that era. Um, you mentioned that you like the lighting, and I would. I just wanted to mention. I just wanted to say that that's Ricardo's specialty because it's it's a three part process whenever we create these backgrounds. First, he sketches it out on a on 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 a sprite. I think that's the name of the software that he uses to sketch it out in in in, in line art. And then he'll import it to um, uh, to Photoshop just to you know just to uh, just to touch it up. And the final process is he goes he puts these backgrounds into Unity, which is our game engine, and he actually uses a lot of these post processing lighting effects. Meaning the lighting effects aren't done as part of the sketch; they're a layer on top of the pixel art. That's why they're so rich. So um, he uses a lot of two D lighting effects. And that that signature glow that that you notice, which 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 a lot of people have noted, is 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 very distinct of um, is very a very distinct feature of the game. Um, that takes that's probably one of the most um, time consuming processes of the production of the art. So a lot of work and attention goes into it. Yeah, it's it's. It's completely worth it, and it's just it's ridiculously notable. I absolutely love the glow. Is his is Ricardo's last name like Yukum or something like that? Yes, that's right. It's it's Yukum. It took a while for me to learn. Um, he, he he he's Brazilian, but I think um, lineage-wise, I believe his like like you know his his ancestors uh, originated from Germany. I believe that's what he told me. Sorry, as, as soon as you had said Ricardo, I, I was like, you know, I bet you it, it's it's this gentleman because I follow his art page on Facebook and I've always I've long admired his uh, his style. So, so it's it kind of all comes full circle. It makes perfect sense that he's he's behind this game and why I'm so enamored by it. And the uh, art and graphics are just like phenomenal. Uh, even if it does kind of go backwards a little bit towards like the pixel art, it's really beautiful pixel art. Like uh, I've uh, I played a little bit on a uh, Twitch stream just to like uh, show the demo. Uh, to the free people who ever watch my Twitch stream, <laughs> and uh, um, and I kind of demoed it a little bit before the stream, just to like get a good screenshot to put as the background 
of uh while I was playing it and seriously like every single screen I came mm. across I had to stop doing screenshots because I was screenshotting like everything. <laughs> like there's there wasn't a bad shot, there wasn't a bad angle, there wasn't a bad like section of any area. It was just it was just phenomenally uh well drawn or however you want to how whatever the computer term of drawing is. Yeah, definitely sets the tone for the game. Like, and and I guess you have another member of the team as well. Is there the three of you, and then you have somebody, uh, Jenny Hyde, working with you? And and now, how, what does she do to turn ideas into games? Well, I think the easiest way to summarize Jenny's role is she's the brains behind the whole operation. She she <laughs> she's the lead programmer. She's so she basically builds it. Um, whereas I. I do mostly game design, so I'll, I'll, I'll design the mechanics, and I'm also the writer, so I'll write the script. Uh, Jenny is more of the implementer, so um, she has mm. a really interesting background, guys. Jenny uh, has a PhD in, in theoretical physics, um, oh and she used to be a <laughs> physicist. Wow. So she used to do proper research at, she, you know, she used to be a character in, in Big Bang Theory, basically, is what I'm saying. You know, she used to do research right. at at, at um, universities in Japan and Italy, um, but she came back home to the UK and um, just thought up of a career change. She got into she got into software programming, and she used to do software programming for the National Health Service um, before she got into oh, wow. video games. So it's, it's it's a very interesting but very uh, unusual um, uh, career path. She and I worked on Terroir, so she built Terroir. Um, that was our first project together. I found her online. We met online. Um, I think it was at some some board, some board for uh, some online board for game devs. So we were complete strangers. We have never met face to face, guys. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and she, she, you know, she's an absolute genius. She did Terroir by herself. It was a two, it was a two person effort. And now she's working on on uh, on Chinatown. But she's got help this time around uh, because um, we just expanded the team so that we've got um, another programmer, um, Luke Lucas, um, who actually worked on another really cool pixel art game that just released, I think, two years ago called Not Tonight. So um, he's part of the team now. But Jenny is the lead programmer, so she basically lays out, um, you know, the games build herself. She she builds a lot of the core mechanics and stuff like that. So it in 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 essence, she's one half of General Interactive. It's been me and her uh, since the inception of the mm -hmm. game. Yeah, the game is is great. It's uh it's really subtle as you're playing it. It kind of does a little bit of what Carmen Sandiego does. It it gives you information about real places in a way that doesn't make you feel like it's giving you information about real places. Absolutely. Right. Um, I think, I think its similarities to Carmen San Diego um, don't just stop there. There's also a lot of so it's not just that it's based off of um, real information, real um, you know, real references to geography. But the most important similarity is that it asks the player to look for the answers to the game outside of the game. That you know, if that thing's always that that mechanic. That's mm -hmm. always blown my mind, um, but we've expanded on that because it's where where Carmen San Diego uh, was mostly restricted to geography, a little bit of culture, a little bit of history. Um, for Chinatown's active agency, 
we've expanded the scope of the information that you'll be um, learning about. It's art history. It's a little bit of science. Um, it's mostly history and geography as well. But um, I don't know if you guys managed to play the very limited... Um, one of the demos that we released is this limited time uh, demo for the Ludo Naracon Festival on Steam where you can play the second mission. Have you guys played the second mission? No. I have not played the second mission yet. Oh, you guys will love the second mission. Oh, that's the great. I'm excited mission, to hear it. Uh, I'm sure I will. <laughs> the second mission, right, <laughs> is, is really cool because, um, okay, so in summary, um, you're tasked with returning a bunch of very expensive stamps, like uh, postage stamps, to their origin country. But these stamps are over 150 years old. They use the old names of the countries that they came from. Some of the stamps mm -hmm. come from countries that no longer exist. So you actually got to research where these stamps came from. So, so this is oh, nice. this is a classic. Um, how do you say? Uh, it's a classic throwback to Carmen San Diego, where you had to figure out, um, you know, the the, mm -hmm. the, um, the the correct city or the correct uh, country uh, to move the mission forward. So yeah. Uh, definitely a massive Carmen San Diego influence, probably the foundational influence of the game. I I love that. Mm -hmm. That's actually kind of something which I really like about um, the demo that I played. I'm really happy that it's bringing back something that's missing from a lot of adventure games I play these days, in which it's the uh, uh, the lack of hand holding the player to take them through the story. So you know, there's a uh, um, you know, like you said, there's a lot of independent research you have to do in order to solve these puzzles uh there's information which uh i don't think there's like a whole lot of instances of this in the demo that i played but i'm really hoping that it'll give us like uh information that we have to write down manually into a notepad it won't just like remember for us kind of thing but uh i, I just think it's really cool to be able to like you know put the uh put a lot of that control of like the actual uh brain work back into the actual player totally i think i think it was Look, it was a leap of faith, right? Because um, asking a player to actually do research while playing a game, to some people, that might sound like a turnoff, but it was a risk we were willing to take because we knew Good. that a lot mm -hmm. of adventure gamers, people who appreciate these, these kinds of games, um, are very smart people, right? They enjoy a mm -hmm. challenge. They like puzzles. They like to use their, you know, they, they, like, to be, um, they like to be challenged when they're playing a game. Um, so we knew that there would be at least a share of that audience of the adventure game point and click adventure game audience who not who would not only mind this uh, they might actually love it because even mm -hmm. though a lot of the um, a lot of the puzzles a lot of the clues that you're going to be cracking in Chinatown Detective Agency do require outside research they're they're not they won't prevent you from finishing the game if because there's because of the difficulty um right. we're not going to put in any puzzles or or hints or clues that are absolutely ridiculously difficult um at least not for mm -hmm. the main mission there will be side missions that are not crucial to the completion of the game that will be much much more difficult and this is just for those who really want an extra challenge you know so there might be mm -hmm. one or two missions that i put in there that um, you will probably need about a week to crack. Um, <laughs> and that week might involve, you know, proper research. You might 
you might need to actually download a high resolution image of a Renaissance painting to look for clues within the painting, stuff like oh, that. Cool. But that is <laughs> but the main like quest line, um, don't worry about uh, at least for at least for the you know for the average casual gamer, they need not worry too much about. Um, uh, doing too much in-depth research in the main quest line, they they can probably still finish the game. Yeah, that's very intriguing. I really like the idea of of having to to really sleuth around, and I, I, it reminds me actually of Carmen Sandiego, where I believe the first release or so came with an entire almanac, you know, a, a thick thousand yes. page uh, size almanac. Uh, granted, before Google and everything like that, so it was. It, but I I didn't look at that as a deterrence. I really enjoyed that aspect. It really helped me get you know tucked into that game where it's like, oh god, it comes the whole almanac. I'm gonna have to really do some homework, and just reminds me of what you said about the. Um, about stamps with with countries that no longer exist, you know, it's there's something intriguing and exotic about that. Knowing it's like I I, I gotta I know of like Persia and like Constantinople, the latter because of that song, um, <laughs> where it's it's not Istanbul right. no more. But but you know, I'm excited to, to have to figure out and learn more. Uh, you know, countries that, that change their name or don't exist. It's it's I'm very glad you took that direction. Yeah, yeah, you know, I I think I think it just builds a richer experience overall. Whenever yeah. Be- mm-hmm. Because there's a you get a nice dopamine kick whenever you you solve something, you know yeah, what I mean. Right. Absolutely, uh, it, it, mm-hmm. it's 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 such a rewarding thing when, um, you know, when you figure something out. So so I feel like when you play Chinatown, there's going to be a lot of those moments. And while you're doing it, the uh, the music in the background is just absolutely gorgeous. You have an ensemble. Who do you have doing the music for your game? Oh, glad you mentioned it, Anna, because um, I know earlier on we were talking about um, how you're based out of Vancouver Island. One of the uh, composers is actually also based in BC, um, but on the mainland, I think. His name is Sean Colton. Um, I, I believe he's done a lot of soundtracks for games and, and film. Um, he does a lot of the contemplative tracks. So when you play the game and you have those Twin Peaks sounding... Um, songs that are really slow and mellow. That's Sean. When you mm-hmm. hear the more mm. techno, energetic um, songs in the trailer, for example, that's uh, Dimitri um, Dimitri Muchkin, who's based out of uh, Moscow, if I uh, if I'm not mistaken. Um, mm. So the reason we decided to go with two composers was because if we stuck with one composer who specialized in creating mellow tracks. We wouldn't have any tracks that could, you know, that, that we could use to promote the game. Something a bit more exciting, a bit more cyberpunk. Uh, vice versa, if we went with Dimitri purely, <laughs> the game would sound like it's on a constant, it's in a constant rave mood. You know what I mean? You needed, you know, you needed <laughs> tracks to kind of, um, allow you to think, but also tracks that would basically, be conducive, you know, to thinking and then and, and research and contemplation. It really feels like it, it's taking you on the adventure. I mean, you get lost in the game. You're doing a puzzle and then you're moving on. I mean, the music really affects the whole uh, environment. Ah, right. Yeah. It, it just yeah, suits yeah, it yeah, so it well. For sure. One of the cities that we wanted to include in the game was actually Vancouver, simply because every time, you know, the, the limited time that I spent there, um, I was enamored that, you know, I thought it was such a cool city. But the thing is, there's already a game coming out that's based entirely in Vancouver. And I'm pretty sure you guys have heard of it. It's Backbone. It's it's it's, it's coming out um, in the next few months, I think. And that game is is based purely in Vancouver. And I think the guys are doing oh, wow. such a wonderful job on that. So 
I actually didn't know no, about no, that. Oh, you will love it. You guys will love it. Backbone mm. is also a pixel art um, detective game, but um, instead of humans, you have anthropomorphic animals. So the main character what? is this. <laughs> ra- ra- <laughs> the, the main character is this raccoon detective, and the whole game takes place in Bangkok. <laughs> it's it's really a lovely setup and a lovely premise. Oh, that is so suitable with the raccoon detective. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, by the way, um, I you know I. I'd never seen a raccoon before uh, visiting Canada, and uh, those guys are huge. I didn't know ra- raccoons <laughs> yeah. were that big. Yeah, our <laughs> local yeah. trash pandas. <laughs> trash pandas, that's right. <laughs> it was really scary. If you ever, uh, I haven't seen one in real life, so I never really realized this. But uh, I think I went to a uh, museum and actually saw how big beavers get. I was not expecting that. Oh, oh, really? The so see, see, for example, beavers, yeah. right? In my mind, because I've I've never seen one in in real life, they're about in my mind they're about the size of a cat. They're not right. They're probably bigger. No, they're quite a bit bigger. No, they're yeah, huge. They're big. Oh wow! <laughs> I think I think everything in Canada is a lot bigger than you're imagining it. Because uh, even even a moose, if you if you look at a moose, like you think a moose is a bit is big until you see how big a moose really is. Jeez. Oh, I've, I've I've not seen a moose uh in 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 person either. Yeah, majestic and intimidating. Yes. Um, so, um, from what I gather, there really is quite a, a large and vibrant um, Asian community in, in Canada. And one of the um, overarching themes uh, of the game is it's the year 2031. And in my imagining of this future, um, China being, you know, being the industrial mega powerhouse that it is, has basically taken over a lot of um, a lot of businesses and um, a lot of the industries of the world. There is that even even right now in the real world, even today, there's a lot of paranoia around that, right? You know, it, there, there's this sense, there's this feeling mm-hmm. that they're taking over too much, um, which is a really interesting theme to explore in the game, because um, in the year 2031. It's a real possibility. It's a real possibility that they'll dominate um, a lot of countries' industries. It's you know, it's 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 a kind it's it's a paranoia that's quite apparent even here in Southeast Asia because they have such a large um, influence over the region, um, and that that leads to a lot of really interesting avenues to explore for us, um, mainly around Chinese history, mythology, culture. So. I didn't mention this at the start, but there are three in the game. Chinatown Detective Agency. You've got three paths to finish the game. There are three clients, and depending on which client you decide to help, the ending will change. One of the clients is investigating corruption in the government, and it's tied into this large mega uh, Chinese mega corporation. And a lot of the clues and a lot of the um, cases are based on uh, well, you'll need to do a lot of research into Chinese history and mythology, and it's a very cool way to learn about that whilst whilst giving it this, you know, this neon, uh, this neo noir spin, this neo noir feel. So I just wanted to mention that because the game touches on a lot of the world's insecurities. Um, it doesn't really get political. I don't want to say it gets political, but it really does make you feel like a lot of 
a lot of the things in the world of 2031 aren't so far-fetched, and it feels like it's very familiar in the world of 2020. Well, that always makes things a little mm-hmm. bit scarier when it, it's close to home. We're, we're almost there, but not quite. You can really picture it being a real situation. That's right. That's right. Yeah, I think it's possible to be um, observational without, you know, being political, without taking a stance, rather just observing, you know, the the feelings of people around. And and like you said, Anna, that definitely adds just an eeriness to it uh, that I I certainly appreciate. So, um, but mate, I was wondering to take kind of a, a, um, I don't know, let's say a prequel, a step back before this game came into being, what was the process for you as a writer to not only come up with this idea but you know i guess what i'm trying to say is did you have several different ideas and you had to choose which one you wanted to run with or did you know right away you wanted to do you know a detective style game set in this um in this future uh things like that you know if you wouldn't mind kind of walk us through what it's like to to go from ideas on on paper to an actual fleshed out demo sure um it always, I, well, well, at least for me, if you ask any other game dev, I'm pretty sure they have different answers, but at least for me, and maybe some game devs will agree, it always starts with a mechanic, right? It always starts with a, with, with an interesting mechanic. And I knew from the very beginning, I wanted to create a game that, that was an, uh, I wanted to create a game that was an homage to Carmen San Diego. I knew that right away. I wanted to create a game where, you, you, you know, you traveled the world, had to do research to figure out where you had to go to next. So, so, so right off the bat, you've already got the foundational mechanic. And the setting, the backstory was pure, um, it was purely circumstantial. I, I had moved to Singapore in 2015 and I was already working on Chinatown late 2017. And I was thinking to myself, okay, you want to do a Carmen San Diego style game, but where is it set? Is it set in one particular location? And the one thing you'll notice if uh, you've ever been to Singapore is that it's a really, really uh, underrated city when it comes to um, storytelling potential. Uh, whenever you think about mm. um, cyberpunk Asia, you think Tokyo, right? You think Osaka, you think Hong Kong, right. maybe even Shanghai. Mm-hmm. Right. Nobody thinks about Singapore, which is funny because Singapore has got to be one of the most... Um, Westworld places I've ever been to. Oh, but funnily enough, the third season of Westworld was was filmed in Singapore. Um, <laughs> so um, it's it's very futuristic. We have robots patrolling our parks, enforcing oh. um, social distancing. Um, oh, that's there, right. There is a yeah, there is a huge government push to uh, make taxi services autonomous, meaning autonomous vehicles. Um, it's a very, you know, it's a very, um, black mirror-ish city, but, you know, but not dark, <laughs> you know, not, not in a depressing, dark way. Uh, so I thought, oh, this is the perfect setting for a cyberpunk, you know, spur cyberpunk story. The thing is, I never thought out, I never, um, I never thought I would make a cyberpunk game. I didn't like the term cyberpunk. I thought it was thrown around too often and, um, you know, it's, I felt I didn't want to associate with that. But, you know, because of the themes that we were covering, um, you know, the future, the automated future, AI, um, and the human anxieties that revolve around AI and, and technology, it was just, you know, it just so happened to be 
cyberpunk in theme. But that but that was never the objective. I didn't want to make a cyberpunk game. It just you know just naturally fit. So that was the process. I, it started out with a mechanic, and um, I drew inspiration from my surroundings, from the city, and the writing is still ongoing. Actually, um, I've taken I've set aside two weeks, and this is the first week to finish writing the game. And uh, it's a lot of reading. It's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot of watching mm-hmm. movies to look for ideas. Um, I'm heavily inspired right now by the Da Vinci Code because I'm getting a lot of inspiration for puzzles and cases and clues um, from that book. Um, so yeah, you know that's that's sort of the process um, from a macro view. Right, right. No, that's lovely. That, that really helps put me, I could never imagine taking on such a creative endeavor as you have. So I think that's as close as I'll ever get is, is listening to you poetically describe it. And I think it's, it just sounds lovely to be influenced by, by something that inspired you as a child. And then to, to also take influence from your very surroundings is, is sounds extremely organic. And I like that you said that it wasn't necessarily supposed to be cyberpunk, um, because you know, as, as you said, there is a, a bit of that going around, um, but I, I think that it, that it happened naturally and organically yeah. is quite lovely. Yeah, I like the yeah. combination. Yeah. Uh, thinking of Blade Runner and the Da Vinci Code, you've got Black Mirror, you've got Carmen San Diego. I mean, that that oh, is really sure. an intriguing combination. <laughs> for sure. I, I mean, you know, these are the these are the movies and the TV series that that really pushed it. That really pushed the um, the um, Again, that that cy- that cyberpunk, but also techno techno future um, genre of storytelling, and uh, those are really the gold standards that that we kind of aim for. So, definitely huge influences from those. Yeah, and what's what's also really nice is uh, something I, I feel is is also a bit lost in in not lost, but I don't see enough of in modern adventure games is. Uh, globe trotting. Um, I, nothing can make me feel more adventurous than traveling the globe. Um, and I'll even be as bold as to exclude space from that as much as I love space quest and things like this. But there's very few games that the Indiana Jones games come to mind, uh, like Fate of Atlantis, etc. when it comes to this. But I, I can't, I, I struggle to really think of a lot of games that made me feel like I was on this grand adventure. And when I do feel like that, it's usually because they have me hopping on planes. And, you know, charting, charting a plane and going to different exotic or not locations. Um, so I love that there was already a glimpse of that in your game. I think that was a, a, just a really great route to go because it just adds so, such a sense of, of adventure and, and limitlessness. I think, um, Paul, I think you, you, you hit the nail on the head with, with one very important point. When you think of those really cool, um, adventure movies or stories, it always involves travel, right? So, uh, Indiana Jones, mm-hmm. even the Da Vinci Code, um, even Uncharted, the Uncharted series, travel is mm-hmm. always involved because, you know, the, the most interesting stories happen in exotic, interesting locations. And even though you could probably build, you could probably create a, an interesting point and click adventure based in Singapore only, in the year 2031, you really ramp up the storytelling when you take the store, you know, when you take the game to different parts of the world, especially when you think about what those places will be like in the year 2031. There's a, there's an inside joke going around. So, um, going around in the team and in our Discord, uh, you'll notice one of the locations in the game is London. And yes. the idea was to portray London in a sort of, 
uh, in an economically depressed, um, economically stagnant um, uh, mood. Because in the year 2031, uh, that that's sort of the future we're portraying. And so the Big Ben is under construction. There's not a lot of lights. There's a lot of people just hanging about by the riverbank, you know, drinking a lot of, you know, a lot of this stuff. And one of our Discord uh, members was like, the Big Ben is still under renovation. Isn't it? Hasn't it been under renovation since, <laughs> since last year? And it's the year 2031 and it's still under renovation. So, um, <laughs> so, um, I think you're right. I think travel really um, enhances that feeling of of epicness that you're going yes. on this grand uh, voyage. Well, your game yeah. does it so well with the subway system. I mean, it, for one, it's beautiful ride and with the slightly ominous signs up and, and graffiti and things. And then the doors open and you'll arrive at an absolutely gorgeous location, but you've know you, you've been somewhere. Is it kind of based on the uh, real subway system in Singapore? Yes, Anna. So thank you so much for pointing that out. I know it's so trivial and it's such a small piece of the game, but that's actually my favorite piece of the game. I, um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's so cool, right? Whenever you have to ride the train, doors shut and, and you see the underground lights and you arrive at your location, the doors open, you see the, the stickers, the vandalism. I know it's mm-hmm. such a tiny, and mm-hmm. you'll probably get sick of it after like two hours, but <laughs> I really love that part of the game because it, 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 it feels, it feels real. Singapore um, has a really efficient subway system because um, driving a car is extremely expensive um, because it's such a small place. So they they pile taxes on private transportation, uh, like like you know like like driving your own car. So to compensate for that, they built this really efficient uh, public transportation system. And no matter what your walk of life. You could be a multimillionaire or you could be a, you know, a minimum wage earner. You will ride the subway. So it's a really, um, I think it's a really, um, I think it's a really fundamental part of life in Singapore. But I love, you know, I love playing with that, um, experience. I loved the whole, um, you know, cracking the glass, having like stains on the door. So the stickers mm-hmm. are ripped off. There's even like graffiti that says, you know, the state has failed. That was fun exactly. because, <laughs> because you know, this is something I see every day. I ride the train every day. And to think that maybe 10 years from now, 11 years from now, when the government is out of money, like this experience, this riding the train might not be the same and it might be much more depressing and dark. You know, it was a really fun um, creative exercise. Yeah, I really, I particularly noticed how the, the subway door closes over the map. Like once you choose where you're going, just out of nowhere, the, the subway door swipes over the map and, yes. and you're off and on your way. I thought that was really cool. I like that. Yes, that was really cool. I, I, it, it was, it was actually a bit of a debate, um, at the beginning, um, because some, some people I showed it to, um, thought it was awkward. You know, they're like, um, why, you know, it's, it's weird that you're riding a train, but you can see the map outside the glass. But the, but as I started showing it to, to more people, and actually I started showing it to actual gamers, they liked the, the, they liked the surprise, especially when it's the first time you do it. It's, it's quite an, you know, yeah. it's quite an interesting feature. So yeah, definitely. 
So you mentioned the um, the process of how you came to decide upon ma- making Chinatown Detective Agency, but if we could rewind a little bit, um, so, so tell us about your first game and how you came about uh, making that one. Because that's like a uh, winemaking sim. Yes, that's correct. The name of the game is uh, Terroir. So you know the word Terroir refers to the distinct, um, mm-hmm. the distinct effect that a place or a location imparts on the wine. So. Uh, a wine made oh, okay. in Bordeaux will not will taste completely different from a wine made in Italy simply because of the soil, the climate, blah blah blah. Um, this was a game that we wanted to make. Me and Jenny wanted to make to prove we could make a game. Um, <laughs> it was it was meant to be you know it was it was meant to be um, an exercise in um, can we really do this? Can we be a dev team? Can we make a game? So. Um, the the plan was always make Terroir then make the next game and Chinatown is was basically the game we wanted to make originally and Terroir was to show that we could do it but it grew bigger than that um, what I really like above all things when it comes to video games and if you ever read my comments on the Facebook uh, group you know you'll see <laughs> you'll see that that's the case my favorite genre of video games is um, uh, management, tycoon, city building um, kind of games. Right. Um, more than point and click games, the games that really made me, like made me as a video game creative person, are games like Caesar 3, uh, Civilization. These are the games that I would say, mm. uh, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a massive um, Sid Meier uh, fanboy. Um, so... For the first game, we thought, let's make a tycoon game. You know, it's, it's conceptually a tycoon game is, mu- is, is very easily structured. Um, it's, it's very easy to plan. It's very easy to come up with the mechanics as opposed to like, say, a point and click adventure with a sprawling story. Um, mm-hmm. I was always, um, I had always wanted to make a game that was very niche in its scope. Uh, very niche in the subject matter. Um, I know that there's a winemaking game that was made sometime in the mid 2000s. I forget the name, but but I did my research and I found I found it on eBay. Uh, sorry, I found it on Amazon, I think. But it's very obscure <laughs> because a lot of the tycoon games or city building games that that that, that are out there will cover more um, mainstream subjects, I guess. You know, like agriculture. Or um, I know that there's a tycoon game about making cars. About ma- there's even there's even a um, um, a pharmaceutics tycoon game. So I thought, why not create a game about wine? Because I'm a bit of a you know I'm a bit of a wine geek, um, and I thought that's something that I know a little bit about already, and I completely underestimated mm. the work involved mm. because I had to actually <laughs> one of <laughs> one of the things that I had to do was I had to look at the historical records of weather in Bordeaux all the way to like the 60s <laughs> and the 50s oh my to, God. to come up yeah wow. to come up with a um, uh, with a probability model for the weather because the weather is based on probability um, so you know X percent chance it's gonna rain X per- X percent chance that it's going to be sunny all of that is based off of historical data from the records in in uh, that I found online in in France, so That's I completely cool. underestimated it. But um, <laughs> it, it, but it makes the game richer. A lot of people are uh, so the game is very polarizing. 
there, there, there's one group of people that really does not like Terawah because it's so random. And then there's another group of people on the exact opposite side who defend the game and say, yeah, but that's the weather. Like, the weather is unpredictable. <laughs> yeah. This unpredictability <laughs> is something that farmers um, have to contend with when they grow, you know, their grapes. I get it, though. I get I get the frustration of, 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 of one group, and I get, you know, I get the uh, the thinking behind the other. But but that's the weather, you know? <laughs> so is that part of yeah. the chance and circumstance system you have for the game? Uh, you have chance, a random event, and then you've got circumstance, which is a mission. Yes, that's right. So uh, this is this is a complete, you know, let's let's be honest. It's a complete ripoff of of, of Monopoly, um, <laughs> where you know you have the community chess and you have chance. But but the thing is, the reason why it's there is um, because without it, the game would be pretty linear, right? You just you know you just mm-hmm. grow your grapes, you sell your wine. The beautiful thing about a mechanic like chance and circumstance or chance and community chess and monopoly is it spices things up. You know, it, it, it throws mm. obstacles, unexpected mm. obstacles into the game um, that if you take seriously could reward you. And if you, you know, and if you just fool around with it, it, it might end up, you know, becoming, you know, it might end up penalizing you. So it, it, it kind of adds mm-hmm. um, variety to the game, especially once you've mastered the game. Chance and circumstance uh, it's, it's meant to be enjoyed best once you've mastered the core mechanics of the game because it really adds another depth of challenge to it. I like the idea that mm-hmm. you can complete the playthrough of the game in a certain amount of years, but that players can continue going afterwards and just not worry about contributing to their final score. Yes, right. So, you know, th- th- there's my... Um, there's my Sid Meier uh, fanboy side showing itself. Um, <laughs> we we understood that um, even after a certain, you know, once you've gone past that that um, that certain amount of time where you're being scored, you've grown an attachment to your chateau. You know, you've you've grown an attachment to your creation, and you might want to keep playing it. So I think that was quite an important feature. I did actually play it very briefly once you told me about it. So I, uh, you know, tracked it down on Steam, bought a copy and uh, played it for a little bit. And one thing that I really learned from that game is to not quit my day job. Because <laughs> <laughs> I suck at making wine. That's very well established. Well, to be honest, I made the game and there are still some games where, where, where I go bankrupt after 10 years. Because it's, it's, a, game, um, it's a game where you really can't, you know, where you can't remove your hands from the wheel. You've, you, you've got to be paying attention mm-hmm. to every little detail. If you let one or two years go by just willy-nilly, right, like playing it loose, uh, it can really come back to bite you, especially in the <laughs> early part. So, so what are some of your plans um, from here, like uh, moving forward with the project? Like, where, where are you right now and what are your next few steps? Well, the most important next milestone is coming uh, towards the end of September, where we're releasing a um, a free prologue of Chinatown Detective Agency, so it's a completely free first mm. chapter of the game where uh, players can play the first three missions, one mission from each of the main clients, you know, the um, the main main quest clients, um, and it's coming out sometime in, in in late September, and I think it's a big enough. Game. It's a. Bit, I don't want to call it a demo because it's much larger than a demo, um, because it's it's definitely right. longer than an hour. 
So it, it, it'll give you a, a big enough picture, a clear enough picture um, of what to expect in the full game. Um, it's also definitely a challenging prologue uh, towards the end because the last mission will be a little bit more difficult than the first two. And, you know, it, some people might enjoy it, um, especially the, uh, the adventure gamers, um, in your audience. So please keep, uh, please stay tuned for that prologue that's coming out in late September. Mm, it's Very exciting. exciting. Yeah. It's awesome. I, I will say I'm already really stoked to hear about the, uh, the second demo that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, definitely. Um, so we're also, um, Taking part in Steam in in the Steam Festival Summer Edition, which is in uh which is on June 9, so the 9th of June next month, we will make that second demo available then. So if you'd like to play the second mission, uh please do try that out. <laughs> All right, so uh that looks like we're just coming up to the end of this interview, but um if you would like, Mark, then now would be a good time if you would like to give any uh, shout-outs or any plugs for yourself and your project and how people can follow you or keep up to date on what's going on. Sure thing. Um, well, our main channel has always been on Twitter. So we're at uh, GenInfCo, which is the first syllable to General Interactive Co. G-N-I-N-T-E-C-O. Uh, but also we're on Steam. So if you look for Chinatown Detective Agency on Steam, you'll find our page and all the links to our um, other channels, you know, um, including Facebook, the website. So, oh, and um, if you would be so kind, uh, if you find the game interesting, please do give us a wish list on Steam. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, that's how, oh, of course, yeah, that's right. how they can follow us. Thank you very much for taking the time to be with us today to uh, answer our questions and to uh, let us know about this project, which we are all very excited about. It was great pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much, Rick and Anna and Paul. It was a real pleasure speaking with you guys. I really feel like th- th- this has been one of the more engaging interviews I've had um, in, in, in recent memory simply because um, I feel like we share the same interests <laughs> when it comes to video yeah. games. So thank you so much for having me on. Oh, it's our pleasure. In, in fact, we should have you back mm-hmm. to uh, talk about Carbon San Diego one of these days. Oh, that'd be amazing. Thank you for the invite. Great idea, Rick. <laughs> All right. Uh, until then, um, uh, any last words, Paul and Anna? Too uh, late. Uh, okay, I don't even but now, now it's your turn, dear listeners. If you would like to uh, join in on the conversation, uh, please uh, hit us up. We are on Facebook. We have a group and we have a page, uh, the Classic Gamers Guild. Uh, we are also on Twitter at the CG Guild. For those of you who still email, we can be contacted at mail at classicgamersguild.com. Uh, we may or may not make an appearance on Instagram at CGG Podcast. And if you would like to support the show, you can find us on Patreon, Classic Gamers Guild. Uh, throw us a dollar, throw us ten, maybe more. I'm not, there's no limit. You can give us as much as you like. We're totally cool with that. And speaking of Patreon, thank you all very much to our Patreon supporters and especially to those in our extra special thanks tier, namely Jay Holmes and Jeffrey Couch. Uh, thank you all for joining us. Yeah, buddy, I'm panicking. Um, go, go, go on Steam and like this wonderful man's game. For, I mean, follow it and put it on your bloody wish list because I, I think that that helps. And if even if it doesn't help, what's it bother you? It's just a bloody click. Do the do the click. And thanks for listening. And we love you. And you know, don't do murder ever. Mm-hmm.